So how have you been? A little bit stir crazy. Was it last week or the week before that we recorded? I think it was last week. I'm Steve and that's Paul and this is the Whiskey Talking. Hey look, we save hard drinks in here for men who want to get drunk fast and we don't need any characters around to give the joint atmosphere, is that clear? Dude, we had Ethiopian tonight. Mm. We ordered Ethiopian. It's like good while you're eating it. And then I don't know if it releases endorphins or whatever. It is spicy, so it probably does. Mm-hmm. But like I'm happy for like at least half an hour or 45 minutes <laughs> after finishing. I'm like, oh, man, I'm just so happy. So, yeah, we, you know, the thing with Ethiopian food is the presentation. So it's like you got this big platter and then you got this special bread called injera mm-hmm. bread. And it's made from... Um, like indigenous grains. It's not even made out of flour, right? It's it's um, made out of the this uh, local grain that they have there in Ethiopia. And you line the platter with the bread, then you put all the food on mm-hmm. it, and it's always like family style, you know? And then they give you these extra little rolls of the bread, mm-hmm. and you use the bread to like pick up the food from your from the plate or whatever and it's so good and then the food got here and i was like oh hmm how are we gonna do this because it comes in like those styrofoam cup things yeah with the plastic lid on it right it's like you ordered a bunch of soup almost right <laughs> and then and then the side you know the breads in the in these little trays on the side so i was like oh we got out the biggest platter we own yeah. which is the platter that we serve turkey on. Mm, I was going to say it's probably a turkey platter. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And the funniest thing about a turkey platter, big embossed <laughs> picture of a turkey on it. It has like this intaglio of a turkey. Can you imagine? Like if you're a turkey and you're like, okay, I get it. You eat us. But what, what do you serve us on? You serve us on a thing with a big embossed thing of a turkey on it anyway so we got that out and i lined it up with the bread Mm -hmm. and then we dumped all the stuff on it it looked great there's a picture on facebook you can go see it but it was really good i'm i'm so happy right now i'm happy because we found a chinese restaurant that's open Mm. we had four or five of them here in town and just before the everything went crazy they all shut down and they're hiding because you know there's a bunch of racists in this town. <laughs> I, we found this one. It's a it's a Chinese Japanese, you know, like not fusion, but they they do both, you know. So I'm gonna be ordering some of that here in the next couple nights. I think they do delivery, which would be perfect. Mm. I love how everything is free delivery, free delivery, because they're so desperate. I'm thinking, man, you motherfuckers better like keep that shit up when this is over. Well, I don't get the free delivery thing because. The driver needs to be tipped. If you're not tipping your driver, you got to tip the driver, right? Well, I think it's the delivery fee. Because yeah. if you ever order like a pizza or something, yeah. there's like delivery fee, then tip. It's like three bucks, right? On the, the delivery fee. Mm-hmm. So we've been we've been trying to do that. Part of it is like, I try to tell myself I want to support the restaurants because they're, the they're catching it in the chin pretty hard right now, right? Oh, yeah. But the other part is to like break up the monotony, you know? Like you said, I mean, you get a little stir crazy, you need to... Do a some, little something, something. Plus, I've been working my ass off lately, so I've got a little extra money <laughs> laying around. I, I would hope you got something to show for it. And But we ordered um, 
Chipotle. And I'm like, ah, Chipotle, that's like a fast food place. That that should be pretty reasonable. It was like 80 bucks for four people. Yeah. But that was with free delivery. So I'm like, I don't know where that 80 bucks went. And we ordered Qdoba. Qdoba was like 60, like so it was less and better. Mm-hmm. By the way, for all you little leaguers out there, get the Qdoba because it tastes better <laughs> than the Chipotle. But anyway. Chipotle is like Panera. You know, everybody yeah. thinks it's good, but it's really not. Right. Kids like it. <laughs> <laughs> the kids like it because, ooh, it's Chipotle. I was talking to my son about that. It was like, why do you think... Because he's like, I love Panera mac and cheese. He's like, I just love it. A lot of people do. You know why you love that? Because it's good. It's creamy. It's this. The textures. I was like, no, none of those are true. (laughs) You love it because we used to go there when you were little. Yeah. And it's nostalgic for you. The only reason anybody eats macaroni and cheese ever is because they remember eating it when they were little. And it's like, there's like... Do you think Chef Boyardee SpaghettiOs would still be around if it weren't for the nostalgia factor? <laughs> Who the hell? That's why. So I was like, that's why you like it. I said, look at that little girl over there. See that little girl eating that mac and cheese? Lifelong customer right there. She's going to come back here in 15 years and get mm-hmm. that mac and cheese because she remembers sitting there with her mom eating that mac and cheese when she was little. Yep. I, you don't see me in the mac and cheese. I was like, you're 15. You're just a few years from growing out of this bullshit. You don't see me getting the mac and cheese, right? I've got this good sandwich and maybe some soup because that's good. Dude, my kids ate so much box mac and cheese growing up, I couldn't stand the shit. (laughs) And then about six years ago when I started to make everything from home, you know, because I'm trying to improve the quality of life for my kids, we started making it for real. Yeah. And... I'm t- Every once in a while, my youngest is like, can we just make a box? Time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we really have to roll out our own dough and get out the pasta maker <laughs> and make the ma- macaroni? Dad, the cheese isn't done yet. You're like, just another week of fermentation. It'll be ready, and then we'll put it out to age. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, I did I did take a tour of a butchery once, like a, a artisan butcher mm. and uh it wasn't cheese but they had the like when they talk about aging meats seriously it's in a humidity and temperature controlled room and it's all just hanging there like there's ham hocks and like just legs of beef just hanging up from the ceiling and it's got it's all got this like growth on it, it looks like either mold or like a yeah like a bacteria or something growing on the outside of it I'm like, what is up with that? And the guy's like, well, you know, we scrape that off before we sell it. But <laughs> because we're humidity controlled and the air is filtered and the temperature is controlled, he's like, you know, we you don't get the growth of stuff that'll that's harmful. Right. You just you're getting like the back the good bacteria and stuff is really digging into those muscle fibers and like breaking them down. And it's just yeah. gonna be so tender and juicy. You know, that's why an aged steak is just so beefy and good you know <laughs> i was like yeah but it has mold on it <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the seven-year-old knew just kicks in yeah but it's got mold on it <laughs> yeah i think by the way Art- artisan butcher is the latest gerard butler movie <laughs> artisan butcher meat is down <laughs> mr president the meat it's down we gotta get out of here now <laughs> I tell you what, though, this pandemic came not a moment too soon. Wait, what am I trying to say? Um, what I'm trying to say is, if this had happened five or five to seven years ago, yeah, 
we'd be screwed, man. Yep. We would. And so when we talk about how grateful we are, I get a lot of people are really struggling in if we if our kids were five or six years younger, Ugh. we'd be in that boat, man. It would be so incredibly hard because right now they're both operating pretty independently. Mm-hmm. My high schooler, he's pretty far behind, and so we've been working this week. He's, uh, he's been on the uh, Steve Vinson get caught up plan, um, <laughs> which involves a lot of triage <laughs> and yelling. <laughs> he, 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 well, not not much yelling. It, it did. It got a little stressful for maybe a minute and a half. And then mm. I was like, I took a step back and I was like, okay, this approach isn't working. I got to I gotta think of another one. But anyway, he learned the word triage, ah. which I don't know where you learned the word triage, but I learned it from MASH. I was just going to say MASH. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But it, it it's actually pretty useful when it comes to like you're far behind. You've got a lot of missing assignments. Mm-hmm. You're doing okay in a few classes. And you're failing a couple of other classes. It's like, okay, who can we save? Because I don't know if we can save everybody. Right. You know, maybe we can. But in order to save these three, you know, these two over here are going to have to suffer a little bit. He's doing okay. He's going to be in pain. He might be a little worse, uh, you know, in a week after we finish saving these other guys. What do they call that? Acceptable losses? Yeah. Uh, But my... My daughter is in sixth, and she's, as far as I can tell, she's keeping up with everything pretty much independently. Because I've been, I work at home, mm-hmm. and I've, you know, I've been working at home every day, and I work all morning, like I'm on meetings mm-hmm. all freaking morning, and so I get maybe a couple of minutes here or there to go check. Are you doing work? Okay, good, you know. And there I am setting you TikToks at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> You're like, I'm trying to get some work oh, done. That's all right, man. <laughs> Well, my my sixth grader, she this was her uh, first step into the big leagues because they sixth grade is now what they call intermediary school, which I just I, I assume whoever came up with that just had had the source handy and needed a word, <laughs> but it's kind of like middle school. Well, she was having a really tough transition period with that. Yeah. Well, she was having a little bit, uh, quite a bit of difficulty with it. Honestly, she barely passed the first semester. And then over Christmas, I'm like, all right, here's the deal. You've got a blank slate now. Everything's brand new. You have no late assignments, no nothing. Yeah. So let's nail this. Yeah. And we did. Nice. She went from almost failing to honor roll in the first grading period. And then this happened. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I'm watching, I'm watching the grades and stuff, and I'm like, it's not the same because you're not learning enough. And I get it's all they have, but they should have just said time out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I would have done. It would have been, it would be interesting conversations to be on that side of it. I don't know, man. It, it would be extremely difficult to figure out what to do. Especially, you know, the hardest part is probably when the kids aren't doing their assignments, you know, and as the teacher, you're like, mm-hmm. why are they not doing their assignments? Are they having trouble? like understanding how to do it are they just not like they do they're treating it like a vacation or mm-hmm. what exactly you know everybody's stressed out right now so they would be really difficult <laughs> yeah just just put it that way i would think that there there should be a level of like forgiveness on the gpa or something yeah the way i look at it here's what's gonna happen it, it's gonna cause a spike in the grade point average yeah not not because like 
for any other reason other than the fact that the stuff that's that they're doing e-learning wise is watered down more like the the slow like the, the kids with the lower grades are suddenly going to have higher grades because the work's easier and i'm worried that that's good they're going to look at it and go they being whoever they are they're going to look at these great these grades and go you know if we did this we'd look better with these better grades i hope that doesn't happen i'd like to think that doesn't happen but well they they is just plain old fancy they that's who they are. <laughs> <laughs> they? Why, they is just plain and fancy they. That's who they is. <laughs> Caught you, didn't they, eh? Tied a tin can to your tail. Led you in and waltzed you out again. <laughs> oh, my, what a bunch. <laughs> Big tough one, eh? <laughs> Here you are with a handful of holes, a thumb up your ass, and a big grin to pass the time of day with. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's one thing that you learn when working with people overseas. Instead of saying air quotes, they say inverted commas. <laughs> that that doesn't even roll off the tongue right. Trying to figure out what the hell this guy was talking about. He's like, they in inverted commas. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about inverted commas? I was like, oh, inverted commas. I get it. Well, so they don't use the double quotation marks. They just use the single. Is that what you're saying? Oh, maybe, maybe I couldn't. I couldn't see him because we don't. But it looks like, like as I do it now, it's like two dudes talking. <laughs> and that's exactly what this show is about. <laughs> two dudes talking. Okay, silver lining. Hmm. And I, I always try to think of you know good that comes out of horrible things. For years, decades, they've been trying to industrialize school. Yeah. And fit all the round pegs into the square holes, right? Yeah. And make it so that they can use standardized testing to standardize the kids and standardize the teaching and basically industrialize and factoryize school. You know, just like your favorite band, Pink Floyd, and your favorite song, Another Brick in the Wall. <laughs> Somebody's watching my TikToks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, you know, you march kids, you know, in one end of the school and you turn the crank and then they go marching out the other end of the school mm -hmm. with whatever knowledge or skill set that, you know, you designed the school to impart. Right. Yeah. That's for decades been what they've been what they've been trying to do, possibly over a century. I'm thinking close to a century. Well, in fact, if you look at the history of public education, it was, you know, started with the the industrialists going to the government and saying, we need factory workers who can do math. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they can't run the assembly line because they don't know math or they can't read the instructions that we give them on how to run the, the assembly line. Right. I mean, anybody can swing a pickaxe, but you need, yeah. <laughs> you need math to run an assembly line. Well, you, you know, they talk about reading, writing, and arithmetic, and all the boomers are like, yeah, we need to get back to that. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. You know why it's reading, writing, and arithmetic? Because you needed to be able to read the instructions. You needed to be able to write down, you know, the result of running the line, and you needed to be able to do basic math, arithmetic, right? Mm -hmm. In order to be a good factory worker who went in there, got black lung, you know, worked your 12 hours a day for... <laughs> you know, most of your life and died two years after retirement. Mm. That's what public education was for at that time, right? So now we've got a century and it's, you know, like a lot of institutions that were designed to solve the problems of a century ago. Mm -hmm. Public education continues to like look for 
all right, we got to teach just the basics and how do we, you know, do standardized testing and standardized teaching and make teacher pay based on the standardized test scores and just standardize, 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 assembly line, turn the crank. Then this happens, <laughs> right? Yeah. And maybe the silver lining that could come out of this is they'll look at it and go, we can't just look at GPA and test scores and everything because it was a global pandemic. These kids, the teachers, everybody were thrown into a situation that nobody prepared for. Mm -mm. So you can't just look when you're looking at, you know, the class of 2023 or whatever my freshman is in. Right. Mm -hmm. They're going to look at the GPA and they're going to look at this particular year. And maybe mm -hmm. who knows how long and how many times this will happen again. They're not going to be able just to look at the GPA. They're going to have to kind of look at the person. Yeah, but that would be nice. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying real hard, Ringo, <laughs> to, to look for the what could positively come out of all this. And I would like to see some of the things change. Because, I mean, it happened last time, <laughs> last time being 100 years ago. And it happened how many hundreds of years ago with the plague? So maybe maybe we'll get some positivity of it. You, you got to look at the long con on this, that it's going to take yeah. a while for anything to change for the better. Yeah. She'll change for the worst fast. Yeah. But it takes a while to change for the better. Well, it does. I, you know, I got to send you the link. The, the latest episode of Hardcore History Addendum with Dan Carlin, mm -hmm. he had this great conversation with this guy, and that was basically... Most of the episode was the two of them talking about what what will be the you know historic if you look at the historical context in the large trends and forces like what is going to come out of this. Mm -hmm. Of course, they talked about bad things, but then they talked about some of the good that could come out of it. Mm -hmm. I tend to think part of it is realizing the connectedness of everything. Yes, it's how silly the extreme individualists kind of look now right <laughs> the, you know the COVID idiots and the you can't make me wear a mask people they just look kind of silly you know i it, it, it's kind of like we're all connected yes i get it you know if you could live on your farm out in the middle of nowhere and you know milk your cow and butcher your turkeys or whatever it is you do to get by and live right let's we'll leave you alone but the fact is, we're all so connected. You can't just simply say, I have the right to do whatever I want because you don't have the right to swing your fist if somebody else's face is in the way, right? Right. It's, it's the same way with like wearing a mask or not you know, going to the hair salon to get your hair cut. I get it. You want to get your hair cut. I get it. You don't like wearing the mask, but you're harming other people by not doing those things. Right. So your liberty stops at the moment you're harming somebody else. So Cut it out, right? So maybe there will be a mass realization of that. Unfortunately, they'll turn that around on to justify what they want to do. The whole, you know, your rights end where mine begin. They will, and I know they will because I used to do it. See, that's the thing a lot of people that I argue with online don't realize <laughs> is that I used to be one of them, right? I'm like one of those cult, like somebody that's in a cult that leaves the cult. Yeah. Like sees the error of the cult's ways. It's like... No, you can't, you can't pull that person back into the cult because they already know all of your little tricks and arguments that you're going to pull. Yeah. So I invite anyone to have that conversation with me because I already know everything you're going to say because I used to say it, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
I was a pretty much a staunch, I don't want to call myself a Republican, but I kind of sort of was. I was a staunch pro-war conservative until this kid I used to babysit joined the army just so he could go over to Iraq. And I got to thinking about why we were there all those years ago. Mm. And I just had like an epiphany. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Uh... Wait a minute. No. As soon as I started thinking critically was when everything changed for me. And it's like, oh, why why can't everybody else do this? And I'm not putting down conservatives in general. I'm just saying I changed. It's possible. Because (laughs) I I thought for a minute. It's possible. And and not everybody that thinks for a minute is going to make the same change you made, right? It's not right. It's not like, okay, if everybody would just think about it, then they would agree with me because that's what everybody thinks. Right. right? Well, no, but <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is I, I too can see it from both sides. I just mm. know I've got enough life experience to, to know these people are crazy. So Dan Carlin said it best. He was like, in no relation to George, by the way. Hmm. But he said it best during this episode that I was just talking about where he's like, one of the things that makes it really hard for him to have discussions with people is he's like the cops that show up to the domestic violence situation. (laughs) You know, the minute he shows up and tries to like maybe mediate or moderate the discussion between two opposing views, like they both turn on him. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's me. That's why I've had a lot of trouble because I tell you what, man, I don't care if you're left or right. I guarantee that I will disagree with you on something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, it's like it's like William S. Burroughs said, never try to break up a fight between a man and a woman because about the time you pull him off of her and you're dealing with him, she'll come up and stab you in the back. Yeah. So anyway, that was one of the things that they were talking about is maybe we'll realize like we're all in this together. Yeah, it, that would be nice. The other thing is the um, my things are all around realization. Uh-huh. Maybe this decade will be called the Great Awakening, right? Especially if we have more of what's going on right now. Because uh-huh. people will start to realize it's, you know, Jeff Bezos is on the verge of becoming the world's first trillionaire. From books. I'm just going to throw that out there. It started with books. Yeah, and and I'm sure he does a lot of good. I know one particular case where he was trying to do good. He wanted to donate. He was going around basically giving juvenile correctional facilities like a million dollars each so that they can build their, you know, recreational areas bigger so that these kids aren't basically bottled up. Mm-hmm. Not surprising, but the one, the one here in the port thought it would look bad on them that they couldn't take care of themselves so they turned it down I'm like who who does that wow <laughs> yeah and this it's not a commentary on the man himself right right or and it's not a commentary on hey one guy figured out how to make a trillion dollars mm-hmm. but we you know we live in a society where because of the pandemic you know amazon's doing extremely well right now and they're hiring a lot of people right they're 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 creating a lot of jobs. They're paying them a lot more too. And if you made the amount of money that the average Amazon worker makes for the next, I don't know, I could probably do the math, probably 20,000 years, you would still not have as much money as Jeff Bezos, right? Mm-hmm. And the there's two points and like there's two levels to that. And, and this is what I, why I call it the great awakening because it takes a lot to, to like sort of figure this out and like actually connect with what, is going on Mm -hmm. the one level is very i mean just sort of cultural that there are a ton 
of people that make less than you know thirty thousand dollars a year who would fight you if you tried to say like maybe Jeff Bezos doesn't need a trillion dollars. They'd be like rights and liberty and the American way. Yeah. And he had an innovative idea. He deserves every penny. You know, they would fight you over mm -hmm. it. People that make probably, you know, less than $30,000 a year and are probably hurting right now, especially if they're in the service industry, right? Hurting bad. Yeah. So we have this society where there's, and I'm not trying to pick on Jeff Bezos. I have nothing against the man. Brilliant, you know, really strong influence and everything, but we have a whole echelon of people who have so much, right? At the same time, we have millions who have so little and are just on the verge. And this, I think this amplifies it. This, this pandemic amplifies the cost of our staunch individualism mm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, it's like what made us great. It's capitalism. It's innovation. It's, you know, it's, the American way, right? Individualists, you know, one World War II and the Cold War and all this stuff. On the other hand, it's also the reason, like per capita, we've had more deaths and more cases of COVID-19 yes. than anybody else. Yeah. And it's also the reason we have so many millions who, like, don't know how they're going to pay the rent and they don't know, like, they have to go to food shelter or food kitchens, mm -hmm. you know, to get, you know, food pantries and soup kitchens to feed their family and stuff because... We don't believe in a government like helping people through stuff like this. We'll send them a $1,200 check, right? <laughs> hey, here's 1200 bucks. That, that'll buy you groceries for six weeks, right? Yeah. For you and your family of six or whatever, right? But we don't believe in a government, uh, an institutional uh, safety net, you know, that'll help people in times like this. We, we would just as soon tell them, well, you should have thought of this and maybe you should have had more savings. That's like the person that says, maybe you shouldn't have had so many kids. Yeah, you shouldn't have had so many kids if you couldn't afford them. Like, okay, well, you know, more black people are killed by black people in black neighborhoods. And oh, it's like, God. Well, just shut, shut up with that. <laughs> and I'm not trying to, and I, I know I'm being political, but I'm not trying to take a political stand on this. I'm just saying that what is your solution? I don't mean you. I mean, whoever's listening that's getting mad at sure. me for talking about needing that for me talking about government has a role in moving our society forward right mm -hmm. if you're mad at me right now you're yelling you're like i'm never going to listen to another episode of whiskey talking again because he's getting too political cool no i get it i totally get it i was where you are five years ago right but my question for you is what's your plan okay <laughs> what's your plan for dealing with a pandemic is it like we have a private healthcare system? We have states. We have states' rights, and the state should have planned better. The state, sh the individual, each individual hospital should have had its own stockpile of ventilators and PPE and all that stuff. And it's not the federal government's job. It's not a fe you know, it's not the Constitution, right? Yeah. Is that your plan? Because if that's your plan, then the United States will always be the one with the most deaths during a pandemic. We'll always have the Katrinas where. You know, New Orleans is flooded for eight days before anybody can get to it. We'll always have the vulnerable people at the low end of the economic spectrum. And oh, by the way, now we get to my second level of this whole thing. You have whatever ideology you want. But when enough people are hungry enough and enough people feel like they've been wronged, you will get revolution. And those revolutionaries don't care about your ideology. 
Nope. They will get theirs, mm-hmm. right? And and it's it's something I try to remind people on both ends of the spectrum. You and I have talked about this. I believe Trump is a result of uh, progressives forgetting this. Yeah. Progressives were so happy and so thrilled um, to get back at the conservatives. You know, for the they were so pissed off about the Iraq War, mm-hmm. they couldn't see that they're rubbing it in the conservatives' faces was going to backfire on them, right? Right. One of my podcasting role models calls it the chickens coming home to roost. (laughs) The progressives forgot about the working man and the working woman in middle America. Yes. They forgot about the Rust Belt. They forgot about the people that got left behind, Mm -hmm. at least felt like they were left behind Right. in the tech boom and the progress of the whatever and the globalization and the NAFTA and the information superhighway. It's kind of like you left a whole bunch of people behind. Mm -hmm. Then you proceeded to pick the absolute least likable person you ever could have to run against Donald Trump. (sighs) A person who's not only unlikable, but who also decided to ignore middle America. Mm -hmm. I figured she could get elected, you know, on the, on the coast. Yeah. Even though she, you know, grew up in Chicago. And so what do you get from that? You get Trump. And it's like, I don't care about your ideology. If you leave a b- bunch of people behind like that, that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying with this pandemic situation is it sort of exposes the ugly underbelly of the U.S., yeah, which is big time. We don't have a strong fabric. You know, we don't have a Cold War where we'll all band together because we're going to we got to beat the Russians. You know, we don't have that anymore. We don't have the, you know, freedom and liberty and we're the only ones that have it. Sorry, but every time I hear a boomer talk about it's the only country in the world where you can start a business and, and you know, <laughs> claw your way up and be something. It's like, really? I'm pretty sure most of the world has that now. Yeah. Right? I'm pretty sure about that. There's this German TikToker that I follow and she's like, mm. you know, most of the world is free. Right. And let's face it, if this German person is saying most of the world is free, yeah, the most of the world is free. Well, it's like the battle cry, making the world safe for democracy. It's like, you did that already. It's done. Yep. Right? Okay, the world is, most countries are now democracies. Yep. Most countries are capitalists. Most com- countries have a progressive, and I mean that in the, the way international people say progressive, not the way we've turned it into whatever it is here, but like a progressive uh, democracy, a capitalistic, free market democracy. Most of the world has that. It was either that or starve. Yeah, and it, it turns out it's a pretty good system, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody's nobody's come up with a better one yet, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe China, but... <laughs> <laughs> but so my point is you can't use that anymore as your rallying cry and your thing that like the fabric that holds us all together, the American mm-hmm. mythology, right? Right. And so this pandemic exposes that ugly underbelly, which is we don't have a fabric that holds it all together. And not coming together at this moment is the most dangerous thing. Like after 9-11, I, you know, it's good that we kind of came together. It's good that we kind of all rallied around whatever. Mm. It kind of fell apart a few years after that. <laughs> but... If we hadn't come together, I mean, what's the worst that could have happened? It's not It's not like us coming together was necessary to stop international Islamic fundamentalist terrorism, right? Right. What was necessary to stop international Islamic fundamentalist terrorism 
was a strong military and a strong, you know, strong FBI, CIA, right? Mm-hmm. All that shit had to be fixed. But we didn't all have to come together uh, for a common cause. This kind of requires it. This pandemic kind of requires it. And this and the response, the things that are happening sort of exposes that we don't really have that right now in this country. And by the way, go fact check me. But I'm pretty sure we have most, you know, we're, we're taking it on the chin on this one. You compare the United States to other countries, we're doing the worst. Yeah. Right? And I almost wonder if economically we're going to be the last one to recover too, you know, because yeah. we're going to have a recession. We're probably in the middle of a recession right now. I'm, I'm fairly certain are we, we going to be the last one to recover? Yep. Because we just don't have that ethos that we all, there's a common purpose. Mm-hmm. We just don't have that anymore. Maybe we never did. Maybe that's why the government decided to announce that uh, there there are UFOs. Because maybe the whole Space Force. <laughs> because today is our Independence Day. Only Hollywood creates the kind of presidents that this country really needs. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you know what? For the coronavirus and... Uh, <laughs> For Donald Trump and for the liberal Donald Trump, who is inevitable. We don't know his name or her name yet, but they're coming. Uh, That was the whiskey talking. (laughs) 